in the book of Acts. Last week, we kind of introduced what was going on in the book. Uh, We summarized uh, kind of really the whole Bible from the beginning to the book of Acts to kind of put the book in context in order to understand what exactly is going on. We talked about the kingdom of God, how Christ is looking to actually continue and to expand the kingdom of God by sending his spirit down to actually indwell in people and see the expansion of the kingdom um, in that manner. And so what we left off last week was the apostles actually being told to go back to Jerusalem and you have to wait because soon the spirit is coming. But in the meantime, go and wait. And so after he said that, he actually ascended back to heaven. So if you want to think about a mountaintop experience, okay, you're with a, a guy who died and is back from the dead. If that's not enough by itself, you actually are talking to him and he's like, all right, peace. And he just like, like goes back into heaven. And then if that's not enough, these angels appear and they're like, hey guys, what, what are you doing? He's gone. Like, come on. Like, what a day that was. Right, that's the day to share to your grandkids and write down for family. Like, hey, I saw Jesus. Like, go back to heaven. There's angels. Like, that was kind of a mountaintop experience of a day, right? And so what we're going to see now. We're going to read through this text, is see a very much a non-mountaintop experience, and actually very much a routine, regular, quiet time in the life of the apostles. And we're going to look at what it means to be faithful. In periods of waiting, in periods when we know God promised to act and promised to do, but in that day, in that time, there seems to be not a whole lot going on. And I would venture to say that's most days in our life, right? Not every day is this big, exciting, you know, uh, amazing day in our life, but regular kind of the, the daily grind, the daily routine, and that's more often than not. And we're going to look at how the apostles managed their mundane time. And they, they were active. And there's things they did that are very helpful for us to learn and to draw from. To know how do we manage that day-to-day kind of time when God's not working on a huge, massive scale. We know that he does and he will and he promised he will. And the book of Acts leads us to expect him to do that. But what do we do in the times when he's not? So that's what we're going to look at in this passage. So if you open your book to the, um, the, the, the book of Acts, um, there should be Bibles in the seat back in front of you or seat bottom in front of you. It's in the New Testament. And so we're going to start in verse 12. I'm going to read through this. It's kind of a large chunk of scripture. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. Those are all the disciples that Jesus actually handpicked himself about three years prior. All of these of one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and the company of persons was about 120, and he said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, 
who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted to uh, share in, his, in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, presumably trying to hang himself, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. That's a sighting verse, huh? And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Alkadama, which is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. They put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and they said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. They cast lots for them, and the lots fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Simply said, this story, all it recounts is Jesus is gone. He says, go back to Jerusalem, wait. They went back to Jerusalem. They were praying. They were hanging out with each other. There was 12 apostles. One is gone, Judas. He betrayed the Lord. And apparently he tried to actually commit suicide and didn't. And it went bad for him. But he did, sorry. He, he did and he died. And they said, now that he's gone, he's out of the 12, we've got to replace him. And so they replaced him. And that's the story. So you may be thinking, well, that's a very non-exciting passage of Scripture. So how do, what is there in it for us? So, again, we're looking at Acts, trying to ask the questions. Uh, we're a new church, a couple months into this. We want to establish our mission, our vision, who we are, why we need to do what we need to do. What did the early church do so that we may repeat what they did and try to mimic exactly what they did in our context in 21st century America. And there's a lot in this story. And so as you talked about at the beginning, you know, the last part of chapter one last week was very exciting. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to see the Spirit, Holy Spirit, actually coming for the first time. We're going to see some crazy things happen. So another mountaintop kind of experience there. But here we are. There's a mountain last week, a couple of mountains, probably the next couple of weeks. But right now we're in this valley, right? And so... It is a regular time, like they are sitting in a room, they're just praying together, they're getting organized, they're reading their Bibles, and it's a day-to-day -day kind of restful, quiet time in their life. And so I want to talk about uh, the addiction we have in America of wanting to be excited and having fun all the time. It's a problem in our country. Like we think, like our culture idolizes the mountaintop experiences so much that when you clock in Monday, it's like the worst thing in the world because you're like, oh my goodness, there's five whole days until I don't have to work again. And I'm going to just be miserable until I clock out at 5 p.m. on Friday because and every day you're seeing it was 5 p.m. somewhere, somewhere is not working some, somewhere, you know, and so I cannot wait. It's like, and you just, it builds up, you're like, oh, it's, it's hump day, Wednesday, Thursday, tomorrow's fr Friday, woo! And they're like so excited, and it was like, they just go, they redline the whole weekend. It's like, oh, Monday, this is awful, I hate. But our culture kind of, uh, it, it pushes us to desire that. 
Because it says that stuff is fun. This stuff only takes place so you can get money to go have fun. And that's generally, if you're young, that's what's thrown in your face all the time. You work hard so you can play hard. And if you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s, you, you, you realize like that was fed down our throats. And thankfully, people who are a little older can be the wise old owls to say, like, no, it wasn't in my day. And so, but all to say, we're bombarded with that. So the church knows that. The church sees, like, well, people love the movies and they love the, you know, being distracted by the, the Netflix TV shows and just constantly being entertained, entertained all the time, being excited all the time. So the church says, let's compete with that. We want to fill our room with people, we want to fill our church with people. So, Let's try to compete with the entertainment <clears throat> industry, try to get our music to sound just like Coldplay, which they're awful now. What happened to Coldplay? I don't know. I was getting my, my oil change and I was seeing, I was like, what happened to this band? But the church wants to compete with these guys, right? And some churches go as far as like getting a hit song on the radio and just making it about Jesus somehow. It's just awful stuff like that that churches do. But they try to do that, and the whole idea when it comes to excitement, the addiction of excitement, is it engages your emotions, and then the church knows that we, our Bible wants to engage our emotions. We have legitimately, we know the God of the universe who desires our affections, who desires our emotions. And so when the church starts playing with our emotions by trying to compete with entertainment culture, I like to call it emotional manipulation. People come back, not so much for the message, but so much to be entertained. Well, that was just as fun as watching something on TV. But it was like a live show on Sunday morning. So I want to go back because of that. And ultimately, how you bring people in your church is how you keep people in your church. I hope that makes sense. And so one of the pillars of Redeemer Fellowship is that we are going to talk about Jesus. Christianity is nothing apart from Jesus. The main thing we're going to talk about here is the gospel, is what Jesus did for you, and how all of your life is demanded because of the gospel, and all of your life applies, the gospel applies to all of your life. That's what you'll be getting here. We're not going to have a boring church where you're like falling asleep or anything, because it should be exciting to be before God and to worship him. But we're going to keep the main thing, the main Thing. We want you guys to come back here because you want more Jesus. And so is something wrong? So it's, say, say we have a week here. I mean, the past two months for Redeemer has been kind of a big two-month mountaintop experience. I mean, you know, two churches coming together and both churches apart were not as exciting as this. I mean, this is overnight. It was like, whoa, what is going on? This is, this is amazing. And many of you are visiting every week. We had new people. We saw baptisms previously just uh, a couple of months ago. There's probably baptisms coming up. There's exciting things happening. But we as your pastors, it would be so irresponsible if we said, oh, this is really exciting. It's a new work. It's two churches coming together. How can we keep this excitement going all the time? Let's just spend all of our efforts to keep this always going, 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 going. We're not going to do that. Because there's going to be a week when if I'm up here playing music that I just completely bomb everything. And you're like, that was awful. There's a coming Sunday when Eric or somebody's preaching and you're like, that sermon was actually the worst sermon I've ever heard. <laughs> and life goes on, right? But what do you do? It's like, so it's something wrong if it's not exciting. Like if, if, if something happens, like the Sunday comes, and you walk out just feeling like, well, that wasn't very, that didn't mess with my emotion. Is something wrong with that? Is there something wrong? Our culture would say, well, yeah, it's supposed to be exciting, and we feel like there's like a void when it's like, well, I was entertained. There's a void now. 
I'm not going back there. I'm going to go somewhere else, you know. We have to trust in the sovereignty of God when things are quiet and routine. We pray for him to work on a grand scale and do big things. And we pray expecting that we've seen him do it. We know that he will continue to do it. But in those quiet weeks, it's about trusting God. We know you're sovereign. The prophets did this all the time in the Old Testament, saying we, we have promises from you, God. And right now, those promises don't appear to be happening. But we're just going to keep walking faithfully, trusting that one day you will do that very thing. It's waiting for God to work in, in big ways, but the routine of life goes on. So the question is, what do you do in those routine days? See, the book of Acts is... Um, uh, 28 chapters, which you, if you read Acts straight through, you don't see exciting thing after exciting thing after exciting thing, like crazy things, people, you know, that can't walk for 40 years being lifted to their feet and they're running around. We see like somebody's in jail and an earthquake happens, the jail cell opens up and he walks out. Crazy things happening. But if you read it, if you're not really aware of what's going on, you'd be thinking like Monday morning, Jesus went to heaven. Tuesday morning, the spirit comes, thousands became Christians. Wednesday morning, lame beggar was healed. Thursday morning, like, that's not how it worked. It wasn't like every day was just like, boom, 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 you know. This covers 30 years of time, these 28 chapters. Amazing, thing ha amazing things happen in 30 years of time. But in Acts 14, for example, I'll read this to you. Tell me how amazing this sounds, but this was a couple of years worth of time. This is Paul, right? And starting in verse 21... This is what Paul does. He was preaching. He was traveling around um, Asia, preaching the gospel, planting churches. And it says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. On down to verse uh, 27, when they have arrived, they arrived in Antioch. They gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time, in other words, remained a long time with the disciples. That's not like crazy things happening, though. That's just Paul hanging out with Christians, discipling them, teaching them about the Bible, being in the community with them. He just dug his heels in, and this is a couple of years he hung out there with those people, right? We don't have books about those couple of years of what he did. We have like a few verses, okay? Think of a movie. If you're watching a movie, um, it's not like, um, I guess reality TV tried to do this, but we know reality TV is fake because if you actually just film somebody walking around throughout a day, like what, what's about that, that boring conversation you'd have with like your friend about, you know, what color shirt that you like the best? Oh, I don't like blue. Cool. Like, I want to watch that conversation on TV, but that's a routine kind of mundane thing. Acts doesn't cover all those things that wouldn't necessarily grab our attention. So we have to be aware of that. The whole point in mentioning all these things is I want to guide us to know how to flourish in those mundane times because those times are more numerous than the mountaintop experiences. Does that make sense? Like Tuesday morning, your kid pooped and you're 6.30 in the morning, you're exhausted. The last thing you want to do is wake up and have a face in the, your kid's poop diaper. And it's just like, I don't want to do this right now. I just don't. But you have to. You can't ignore it. I've tried that. They don't go away. And you can't secretly hope your wife will smell it. And like, oh, I guess i got to do that. Like, that's bad, guys. That's, that's, that's mean. Don't do it. I don't know that, of doing that at all. So, um, 
But how do you handle those days? Because those are far more numerous than the big mountaintop days. So I want to look at this passage and draw some principles of what the apostles did in this routine time. And so let's go back in verse 13. It says, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. They're simply obeying Jesus. If you look out in verse 4 earlier, it says, Jesus, while staying with them, ordered them to don't, you know, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. So what did they do? They went to Jerusalem to wait. What do we call that? Obedience. It wasn't a, a, a big task, like, hey, stick around Jerusalem. All right. They went back to Jerusalem. One principle we find there is simply obedience. Obedience. Guys, obedience for the Christian is the only path we are to walk. Obedience, and the simple action we see, that's the thing is, obedience does require, like, don't cheat on your wife. That's a big deal. Let's not do that. But also, let's not try to hide uh, or, or, you know, push the, the stinky kid towards your wife so she gets to change that. Like, be obedient and serve your wife and change the kid's diaper. Like, small things like that. We're required to do both. It's the only path we are to walk is that of obedience. None of our life is to be trying to go down this other path of what we want to do with our own time, but it's the only path we are to walk is that of obedience. Nothing is outside of obedience. Paul said this to Timothy. He says, be ready in season and out of season. In 2 Timothy 4. What do you think he means by that, talking to Timothy? Like, be ready in season when there's something in front of you that has to be done. Like, there's a crisis, there's uh, something happened, and it requires your full attention. Be ready then, but also be ready out of season. Be ready on that Thursday morning, just another day in the week. Be ready then, right? If we're ready in the off times... When the end season times come, we will actually be ready for those times to come. And it's required that we are ready in both. And so we also see as they were here in verse 14, they weren't just chilling out. They were engaging each other with prayer. It says all these, the one accord in verse 14, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the woman, with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus. They were together in obedience, praying together. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. That's the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. They knew that what was coming would require a complete dependence on God. They knew that God promised to do big things. He has big plans ahead. And they said, God, if you're going to do those things, if, if this spirit is going to come, you want us to hang around for him, if you promise to, you know, uh, Jesus told us to go make disciples of all nations, if, we're, if, if it's a guarantee, it is a guarantee, that disciples are going to be made, right, if that is the truth, we must pray and say, God, we need to be actually dependent on you for those things. It expresses a constant dependence. In Matthew 21, it says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. When Jesus was in the temple, he said, this, is a, this place is supposed to be about prayer. Other things are happening that is not prayer, and I'm not happy about that. That comes from the story of him flipping the tables, right? 
He says, my people are to be people who pray all the time and not to crowd this house up with things that are not prayer. And that was his very passion. So I, I want to look at this principle because day-to-day prayer, um, I'm going to be very frank with you. I mean, the apostles here, they were engaged in prayer, just uh, in prayerful dependence together in community. And just yesterday I was in Boston at a um, church conference for Acts 29 at one of our sister churches up there. Church named Genesis, and I'm in Woburn, Massachusetts. And there's a quote they threw out there from the guy named Timothy Keller. Many of you may have heard of him. And he said, um, I think Keller's probably in his 60s, 70s. And he said, I learned how to pray in the second half of my life. The second part of my adulthood, I learned how to pray. And so as a young guy, this is what happens to me. Uh, we have like 50 kids in our church, so I'm going to speak to the guys who have, and the gals who have um, little kids right now, all of you. Um, this is what happens when I try to pray in my house. It happened this morning, actually. So this, I got up at like 4.30 this morning, and I'm like, it's quiet. Like, I don't hear anything. It's amazing. Go downstairs, I'm like tiptoeing, because like the kids, like they hear a creep, they're like, they just like jump out of bed. They're like, hello! You know, so I'm like, I'm going to go downstairs quietly, and I just want to pray. I get to go to church this morning, had a great time yet. I want to pray in silence. Because prayer requires, like, concentration. Like, you, you got to, like, undistract your mind, open your Bible, just like, God, you know, speak to me. I want to sit with you right now and just pray. And so we have a colonial house. I'm downstairs and our kitchen table. And right above is where our bedroom is. And Micah sleeps in our closet in, like, a little um, playpen thing or a pack-and-play thing, walk-in closet. He's sleeping in there, and it's like a qu- uh, five till five, and I'm like praying, and he starts crying. Of course, our walls are kind of thin, so I can hear everything. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to keep trying to focus. And then 5.15 comes, I hear little footsteps coming down the stairs, and there's Lydia. It's like, hey, Dad, can we play? Hey, good morning, Dad, good morning. And from then on, it was just, there's screaming, there was crying, somebody punched somebody, and someone, something broke, and it was just, it, was, it didn't stop. And so what happens is I'm like, Forget prayer. I'm done. I just tried so hard. It's exhausting to re-engage myself. I had to, like, do this. Like, I don't know what to do. Ah, I'm just going to not pray today. And and my sinfulness, that's what happens. I try really hard. Then I'm just, like, throw up my hands up in the air. I'm like, I'm done. Whatever. I'm just just going to read or hide or something. I don't know. I'm just going (laughs) to not try this today. I'll try it again tomorrow. And many of you parents that have young kids are like, I know what you're talking about. Right? I want to talk to you for a minute and say this. Prayer is supposed to mark the most mundane of days. It's supposed to be the very heartbeat of your life, the very thing that Paul says constantly be doing all the time. We need Jesus at all moments of the day. The, the, the old hymn says, we need him every hour. And it is so true. We need to be praying every hour. I get it. It's hard, little kids. But don't stop fighting for prayer. Don't give up. I've given up too much, and I've had those dry seasons where I feel just distant from God because I just kind of gave up on prayer, right? Don't give up that fight. And for people who are not in that stage of life, who are out of that, that stage, you actually have quiet times in your house, be examples for us. Encourage us young people who have a hard time finding silence. Alongside of us and say, like, I, I get it's, it's a hard time in your life. I didn't hear a single person that was, you know, in their 50s or 60s yesterday, the pastors there say like, oh, I had a, a, a great, easy time praying when I was in my 20s and 30s. Like, it was easy. Like, I never heard that. I just heard uh, at 50 I learned how to pray. And I, I don't want to just wait until I'm 50, you know. So 
I want you guys to encourage us young people to pray, to fight for that, to just keep trying, even if it's hard, to not give up. And for those of you who are here and to say, like, I don't even know how to pray. Like, I, I want to learn. Kind of knew this whole Christianity thing. When you say prayer, I don't know what, you're, what, do, you, what do you mean. So I would encourage you just to simply do it. Just sit and just say, like, I, I, I want to pray. I'm talking to God right now. I don't know what to, like, just, just start doing it. Start talking to him. I guarantee you, he's only, he's only engaged. Open your Bible and say, God, I want to read a verse and I guess speak to me. Like, just talk to him and he's going to engage your heart. Prayer marked the apostles in this waiting period. It's supposed to be our entire life, day to day. It will be our entire life, every hour. We see also in verse 14, we see something that's hugely important. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. They didn't go back and like go back to their individual homes. They went back together. Their faith was one that was together. And they spent many days together. Day to day, they were together. You never see any Christians in the book of Acts living out their Christianity alone. You just don't see that. It's a modern day phenomenon that we, we can watch podcasts and preachers on TV and feel like we're having church in our living room and we just never interact with Christians ever. Um, it's a modern day phenomenon. You will never see that in the book of Acts. At Redeemer, um, we have a pillar, which is our community groups. Uh, we're still learning how to do those. We're only a five or six-year-old church, and we're still learning, like, how do we get people? I mean, in the suburban world, suburbia is not created for us to spend time together. I mean, I live in Brick, and sometimes like, it took me, like, 35 minutes just to get home one day. Like, I live, like, five miles from this church. Like, come on. But that's what suburbia, it's the challenge of it. Just to get to somebody's house can take you 30 minutes when you live just a few miles away, right? So it's hard, I understand that, but we, we have to fight for community. God did not save a person, he saved a people. The analogy that Paul uses, we are the body of Christ. You're not to be isolated from that body. If your finger's missing from your hand, your finger's utterly useless laying there on the floor, right? There's no point, it doesn't do anything we cannot be isolated from the body. You have a part to play. And day to day, we may take some creativity. I don't know. But we have to figure out how do we stay in touch with each other. Just recently, me and Gregory grabbed lunch across the street. There's nothing pressing. We just hung out. It was precious, man. It was amazing. Just to talk, just to pray with him, just to catch up on life. It was simple. It was easy. It was an hour of our day, but it was so much. It's those simple things that we are to surround ourselves with. So people who love Jesus, pray with each other, spend time together, day to day. And so if you come here and you only sit in these seats and you're not a part of this family beyond a Sunday morning attendance, my question is, like, what's, your, what's your goal? What is your motive? How do you understand what is your theology of the church if that is the end point? of your Christianity. This is not an event, right? You're welcome here. Please come. Of course, please come. But this is only going to do so much for your heart to come and sit here. You need a brother when you're being crazy. You need a brother to say, stop being crazy. Stop being stupid. And you don't have that if you don't have your Christian brothers and sisters in your life. The word I like to use is the word rhythm. 
Like in your regular rhythms of life, how do you include people in your life? Between Monday and Tuesday, those random days of the week, and those regular lame weeks that nothing special is happening, how do you include Christian brothers and sisters regularly in your life? The apostles displayed that for us, that they were um, together waiting on the Lord to come in this quiet time, but they were together. They were not separate. A fourth thing we see is them getting organized. Now, this is the interesting part. Um, we see them, in those days, Peter stood up and he says, you know, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. The Holy Spirit spoke beforehand concerning the mouth of David, um, that uh, there was going to be one of them that would fall away. And that that empty, the apostles were unique. They spent time with Jesus. We see the actualist requirements of what the apostles were. The apostles were special people. They spent time with Jesus. They were ministering with Jesus from his baptism all the way until the time when he was resurrected and he ascended. They said, somebody that's been with us since all this time has to fill that office because the Bible said so. Then the story of Judas. I want to hone in on Judas's bowel spilling out. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Um, but... They had to get organized, okay? So they weren't sitting around, like, lounging out. Again, they were actively praying. They were in community with one another. But they said, you know what? It's a good time to get organized, to get our leadership structures um, in place, and to begin preparing for ministry. So there's two dynamics to this. Right now, we're entering as a Redeemer, kind of a quiet time, okay? And so we are trying to get organized ourselves. If you're a deacon here, you're waiting for my phone call because it's been like a month and I'm behind. But we're trying to get our deacons organized. We're trying to get people that are seeing some of the ministries organized so we, begin, we can begin reaching out to our communities. But that takes organization. And you, from the first day, those are still like, I'm against organized religion or Christianity. Well, day one, they got organized. And so uh, we see as the church grew... And at chapter 6, they realize, well, geez, now we're getting larger. We have to redo organization. And so they get what, what we call deacons in place. And so we see them continually having to restructure themselves as the Lord grew what they were doing. But there's a part of this that's true for you and I in our homes, okay? So if you and your family, in those down times, okay, if you're not spending time actually organizing your home, all right? If you don't intentionally look at your life and say, okay, everything between um, uh, checkbook balances to Deuteronomy 6 says your, your children, you, you're the primary disciple of your children, so I got to disciple my children. Um, all these things that the Bible has for us. If, you're, if your life is not one that is organized and structured at home, it is actually going to affect the church too. There's a proverb that's fairly interesting. In Proverbs 27, it says, Know well the condition of your flocks. Give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? So I'm going to throw this out there. I was talking to my wife. I was like, is this really like directly applicable to them getting organized as the apostles, having to realize that if this is going to be sustainable, if this is going to last a long time, this, you know, what God is going to do, we have to kind of get organized and get ready for this. I, I, this is a good example. I was in high school, graduated, you know, eight, uh, 18 or graduated. This was 2004, maybe. And I, I think I got like 2,000 bucks in like gifts and money and stuff. That's a lot of money for 18-year-old, right? And I remember like six months later, I like got mad at my dad because I'm like, where'd my money go? And he's like, what are you talking about? 
Like, all the money is gone. And he's like, what are you looking at me for? I was like, well, he's in your, you know, I don't know how why I was blaming him for it. But he was like, you didn't keep tabs of anything you were doing. It's gone. Like, you just blew it. On, I don't know. I was horrible about money in those days. But if you're here and you're like, I, I have a checkbook and um, uh, no, I have no money. Where did my money go? I don't know where it went. That affects the church, too. If, if, if your schedule is out of whack and you're like, I don't have time for anybody because I'm just not organized at home, that affects the church also. When somebody's in crisis, they may need you and there's, there's no time in your schedule for this. I, I, I think we can draw an application to say that we need to pay attention to the condition of our flocks, the condition of our homes, right? Give attention to your herds. Money does not just somehow stay in your accounts. Um, it's, it's, not be, it's not sustained if you not pay attention to it. How, how can you be generous in mountains of debt, right? Um, if, if you're a single mom, I want to speak to single mom, well, for single moms, if you're a man, I think we can look at this and say, man, it, it, it's up to you to really lead the way in organizing your home. The Bible has worlds and worlds and worlds of, of, of counsel for you to organize your home, to organize your life, to lead the way in doing that. So please, man, look at the Proverbs and say, how can I structure and organize my home as we're structuring our church. Even ask the question, how, how can I structure my family to be servants for the church as they're trying to get structure? Because that's important. I want my family to be involved in church. Um, all those questions are huge. Um, single moms, if, if you're hearing this, you're like, I would love for my house to be more organized, but I'm, I'm alone and it's hard. I, I want to speak to you directly and you are so capable of organizing your home because you have to be sharp. Like, you don't have a day where you cannot be on your toes. And I have so much respect for single moms. And also just ask that if you really need help organizing your house and you need just help, please have the humility to please ask. I can send tons of people your way to help you. So please have the humility to some say, I'm in over my head and I need help. And we'd love to help you with that. Um, things like Financial Peace University, we just saw almost saw the video earlier. Um, we are putting those out for this very reason. God's kingdom benefits from stable, organized, structured families. It really does. Even if you're single, what you do with your money matters. Organize your checkbook. Uh, the apostles saw it important to organize themselves, and the application also is directed down to us. But how do they know, the apostles, that they needed organization? All right. They searched the scriptures. We saw them quote Bible verses saying, well, according to this psalm, we need to fill up Judas's seat. So they knew their Bible, they knew how to interpret their Bible. They spent time reading it in their day-to-day -day routine lives, and that's when they realized that they needed to get organized. So the simple question is, are you regularly in your Bible? I remember a few years ago, I was talking to a woman, and she was a reader, and she was like, you know, I read, you know, all these books, and she's quoting obscure philosophers in the Enlightenment period, and I was like, that's great, but she's, her face is in a book all the time, and I, I kind of like, never heard anything about the Bible, though, all about books about the Bible, I was like, when's the last time, like, you opened your Bible, well, I don't have time for that, I, I, that, I, I'm too busy for that, for like, Bible devotional, kind of engaging guys through my scriptures reading, but I can read all these other books, like, no, you got time, it's just not your priority, Reading your Bible, they asked Billy Graham one day, they said, Billy, you're busy, you travel. He spent like half of his life, I think, in a hotel room, because like, he traveled all over the world. They said, um, those busy days, what do you do about your Bible reading? Like the days you miss it, 
um, what do you do to make up for that? And he's, he looked at the guy confused, and he said, I don't miss it. I don't. It's that important to him that daily he found time to at least read something in the scriptures. Develop and cultivate that in your routine day-to-day life, that principle the apostles set out before us. They developed a dependency on the Bible in all the routines in life. And so in doing that, having a dependency on engaging God through your Bible, you're going to create a foundation for all of what we've been talking about to actually happen. Okay? And so as we conclude, we want you to flourish in the daily grind of life so you will not miss opportunities to minister. All right, so as we close, I want to again remind you, last week's sermon was one of expectation. We're expecting God to work. We're getting ready for him to work. We know he's going to work. The book of Acts was told to us because we should expect him to do amazing things today, just like he did in the book of Acts. We're going to wait for that. We're going to anticipate and pray that he does that, but there's going to be, just like in the book of Acts, more days than not where he's not doing those things. And this, those days I want you to flourish because when opportunity comes and God sends somebody your way who desperately needs help, who needs somebody to come alongside of them to serve them in some capacity, to just simply share the gospel with them, I don't want you to miss it. Because if you're not um, flourishing out of season, like we talked about, when that in-season moment comes, you may not even know that it came. You may completely miss it. There's so many times that I've walked away from a situation and realized that person was actually really reaching out to me. I was so preoccupied and so not on my toes uh, that I completely just missed that opportunity to minister to that person. But if you're flourishing in your daily routine, when those opportunities are there, you will know that it's there and you won't miss it. And we don't want you to miss that because those in those quiet moments sometimes out of nowhere that's when God does a miracle and does he does miraculous work right in front of your face don't miss those times don't miss those times imagine if the disciples didn't go back to Jerusalem imagine if he said go back to Jerusalem wait and they just was like ah imagine if they didn't seek the Lord in prayer went back to their own houses they didn't stick together in community they kind of did their own thing didn't stay in the scriptures, didn't care about keeping themselves organized. Here's another way to understand the sovereignty of God. He is going to accomplish his purposes. I want to remind you of the book of Jonah, okay? God told Jonah, it's time, Jonah. Like, this is the in-season time. Go to Nineveh and preach to these guys. Nineveh was a bunch of pagan, awful people. And he said, I, I want to go, I want you to go and tell them about my love in order that they may be saved. And Jonah was just like, I'm going to run away from this. I don't want to do this. So he just ran away, okay? That's not the story didn't just stop, and God was like, oh, bummer. i got to find somebody else. He did not leave Jonah alone. And things got bad for him, if you know the story, right? Burn off a boat, whale ate him. Sitting there thinking, I probably should have went to Nineveh. That would have been a better option. God has a plan for you in this room to minister here to either your family, your friends, this church in Tom's River. You're a part of the body of Christ. There is a distinct purpose and plan for you. And if you're not flourishing in the off season, when the in season comes and you miss it, he's going to keep throwing things your way. It may actually make your life miserable until you bend your knee and say, geez, I got to get my life in order 
because you obviously are calling me to something right now. I'm kind of avoiding this and missing it all together. I'm sorry. Don't be like Jonah and just miss it. And don't, especially don't be like him and intentionally turn away. God will accomplish his purposes. I hope that encourages you because he has a plan for you. He wants to use you. But be ready for that and don't miss it. So let's um, close our time in prayer. Lord, um, I know that even tomorrow morning, the, the, the daily grinding continues, Lord. Um, and so I, I just pray for those of us who may be in a season that is uh, somewhat routine, that are just kind of going through the motions. Lord, um, I, I, I pray this sermon and, and the principles we see from the apostles and the 120 people, the early Christians right there, and what they did. Lord, I pray that we would really take that to heart. Lord, if you are master over us in those mundane times, we will be powerful witnesses for you when you send us uh, big uh, ministry opportunities in front of us. So we will be powerful witnesses to our family. We will be mature, sanctified disciples if we are your people in those mundane times, if you are our master in the daily routine. But Lord, I, I think of people who are not in a daily routine, who may be in crisis right now, that may be in the middle of, uh, who may desperately wish for just routine in their life, but may be facing something um, really difficult and really hard, and they're just on their knees begging for help and just relief, Lord. I pray for those people now, Lord, that they would just look around and see there's Christians here who would just love to come alongside of them and to love them and to care for them and to pray for them and to serve them and to be with them in their crisis, Lord. So Lord, I pray that um, you would drive um, those people now, Lord, to you, to your heart, Lord, by the Spirit. You would draw them into your presence, Lord. And may we as church we as a church serve them, Lord. Lord, thank you that you speak to all of our life and not just some of it, Lord. And I pray that your spirit would sustain us day to day as we really seek for you to be master over all of our life, Lord. We're thankful for the scriptures and what we can learn from them, Lord. Um, we're so thankful we pray this in your good name. Amen.